turned on, does it not? Okay. Here we are. Um, Mark chapter 11 is where we are today. We have been marching through Mark. We find ourselves in chapter 11 of Mark's gospel. So while you're finding your place there, I'm going to start reading. What do you say? We're going to read first 11 verses of Mark chapter 11, verse number 1. Mark records for us, remember, uh, Jesus has been on his way to Jerusalem ever since Mark chapter 9. He came down off the Mount of Transfiguration, and ever since then he's been headed toward Mount Calvary. So everything between those two records the journey that uh, ensued. Verse number 1 of Mark chapter 11, as they, that is Jesus and the disciples and those that were following along, as they approached Jerusalem at Bethphage and Bethany near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples. Isn't that just like the Lord? We say that we're ascending church. Why are we ascending church? Because that's what Jesus does. He is a sending Lord Notice what the Bible says. He said to them, go into the village opposite you, and immediately as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there on which no one yet has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? You say, the Lord has need of it. And and, and immediately he will send it back here. They went away. And found a colt tied at the door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of the bystanders were saying to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they spoke to them just as Jesus had told them, and they gave them permission. And they brought the colt to Jesus and put their coats on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their coats in the road, and others spread leafy branches which they had cut from the fields. Those who went in front and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of Yahweh! Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David! Hosanna in the highest! Well, how many of you were in the worship service of Grace Church on February 4th, 2018? Let me see your hands. All right, I see four or five folk. All right, here's my next question to you. What do you remember about that service? Hey, let me be a little bit more optimistic. What do you remember about last Sunday? (laughs) That was three years ago, right? Well, I asked that question because February 4, 2018 was the second time I ever filled the pulpit at Grace Church. And... This was my text. And since I used this text on that day just three years ago, I said, you know, I'm going to skip this. It's a good story, but I'm going to skip it. And then I got to thinking, but wait a minute. Probably there's going to be 95 folk at Grace Church Sunday that weren't here with us in February 2018. And you know, it's good news. The majority of you that are sitting here were not there on February 4th, 2018. That tells me, Dr. John, we have grown a good bit since then. And there's a whole... Well, on that day, I would guess, on that day, there was probably 40 folk there. And we've done run them... I mean, sent them. (laughs) Yeah, we've done sent them. We have. I mean, we sent a ton of those... Uh, off to seminary. We've sent a ton to the mission field. We've sent a lot of them. So we've got a new crop. And here's one thing. Can I just preach about that for a little while? You know, Grace Church is, is a church that is in constant transition. We're doing that. Have you ever noticed that, that, that we are changing and it's almost like uh, a military church where we have a different, totally different congregation about every three years. I mean, again, if you were here on that day, raise your hand. Now look around. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, yeah, the far majority of us uh, were not. 
So believe it or not, we have to grow. Uh, if we're going to keep sending folk as we do, and if we, you know, we, we have a, a, a prayer, and our desire is to start a new church in the panhandle. And in order to do, in order to do that, we've got to keep growing. But anyway, I think that was a, a neat exercise. Let's get down to the business at hand. What do you say? Mark chapter 11. I want to speak to you on this subject today. Donkeys, disciples, and doctrine. Because that's what this text is about, is it not? I mean, we have a donkey. Uh, we have some disciples. And sometimes it's hard to tell which is which, isn't it? You ever notice that? And then we learn some doctrine in the course of this. So what is it that we want to focus on? What, what is it mainly that we learn from these donkeys and disciples? Well, I think we learn how to be used by God. And I don't know about you, but that should be the heart cry of every person who names the name of Jesus Christ. God, would you use me for your glory, and would you use me for the benefit of your kingdom's expansion? Uh, not long ago, uh, one of my heroes in the faith said this. He said someone had been in a tragic automobile wreck in his church, and while he was visiting with them, he said, Well, Pastor, the Lord must not be through with me because I'm still here. And he said, The thought occurred to me when the person said that, Who would want to be here anyway if you thought God was through with you? If you thought God couldn't use you, what is the purpose of living anymore? So how is it that you and I, and we talk about that a lot at Grace Church. I mean, you know, we try to declare war on just sitting on church pews. We want to get our folk plugged in to meaningful ministry whereby you are used by God for His glory and to impact His kingdom. So how is it that we can we do that, and what does this passage teach us about that? Well, several things. Let's work through it together and take note of some of them. Number one, I think this passage teaches us that to be used by God, Jesus must first eliminate our excuses. You ever notice how many excuses folk have for not doing what they know God wants them to do? I mean, you know about the dirty policeman that has a rusty 38 revolver tucked in his, in his trousers so if he needs to plant it on somebody, he can? I think most believers come like that with excuses just tucked away in their heart when they come to church. So if God asks them something, they can lay down one of these excuses that they've got tucked away as to why I can't do this, God. It's just normal part of human nature to do that. Uh, we see it in the Bible. Moses did it. Uh, Daniel did it. Jeremiah did it. Everybody has an excuse. And they think, you know, I think we think that God's going to say, you know, I demand this of everybody. But wait a minute. What'd you say? Oh, man, if, if that's your situation, then you're exempt from this. Yeah. <laughs> We think God's just going to wink because our excuse is good enough. But it's not. Jesus has got to eliminate every excuse you have for not doing what you know He wants you to do before you're going to do it. So notice some of the excuses that we see here that Jesus eliminates. And this is what we learn from a donkey. Are you ready? Excuse number one. Jesus uses what normally is not used. What normally is not used. Notice what the Scripture said here. The Scripture said that he wanted the colt. You see, normally folk wouldn't use the colt. Dr. Luke tells us that there were two tied there, and this is what I know from being on the mission field. Because where Heather and I live, where our house is in Cururupu, Maranhão, Brazil... The culture is very much just like this. And just about everybody who does anything has some of those little donkeys, some Jerusalem donkeys that have the, the stripe coming down over their haunches, uh, over their withers. Everybody has one. 
And this is what I know. And this is what Luke records. This donkey was probably tied there. And Mark has a, has a habit of just focusing on one. Luke focused on two blind men. There was Bartimaeus and another. Mark just focuses on Bartimaeus. Mark focuses here on the colt. Luke tells us the colt was there with his mother. Now, why do they always tag a colt along with his mama? Because mama is trained. She knows how to handle crowds. She knows how to bear the burden. She knows how to act. She knows what to do and what not to do. So the way you train a colt is you tie that colt to its mama, and everywhere mama goes, colt goes. But the colt is useless until it's trained. So you see, this is something that normally was not used. And I think part of the question here why some of the bystanders were saying and noticed their, 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 their question is very specific. Why are you untying the colt? I mean, if, if you're going to steal something, steal something's valuable, right? You don't steal something that's not useful. You ever notice that? Thieves don't steal TVs that are broken. <laughs> you just don't. So here, they want to know, why are you untying the colt? Because that is normally something that's not valuable. It's not usable. So why are you untying the colt? Here's a lesson we learned from this little donkey. Jesus uses what normally is not used. Now stay with me here. It's the same with you. You know who the perfect candidate for Jesus is to be impelled into His service? It's a person whom you normally wouldn't think would do that. Can I say to you, I am that person? Because here's the deal, whether you know it or not, and uh, uh, folk who just see me here on Sunday and see me preaching in a pulpit somewhere think, Man, that, that guys he's got it together. He's got an outgoing, Gregorious personality. But let me say to you, yeah, Jerry's over shaking his head. Here's my real personality. I'm as socially awkward and introverted as anybody you'll ever meet. My wife, thank God for her, she makes me presentable. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> She helps me with my social awkwardness. And I say that to tell you that this is something that normally I wouldn't do. If it was left up to me, you know what my personality is? You know what I would normally do in a group? I'd sit on the very back and I would slouch down just as low as I could to be seen by the fewest amount of eyes that I could possibly be seen by. That's me. That's what I normally would do. And I hear folks say all this all the time when, you know, when, when, when we need something somewhere and it's not really in your wheelhouse, uh, we get this, this, this feedback. Well, you know, that's just not me. I normally wouldn't do that type of thing. Thank you for confirming that God was right when He put it on my heart to ask you. Because we're looking for folks who normally wouldn't do this. It's outside your comfort zone. That means you'll have to depend on Him to get it done and you'll get it done in His strength or it won't get done at all. He uses what normally is not used. Can I, can I say to you that if Jesus were looking for someone to use greatly, you know what He'd do? He'd go to the elementary school playground and He would find the kids that are fixing to pick teams for Red Rover if it was still legal to play Red Rover in the state of Florida. And the captains have picked all the big, athletic, strapping kids to be on their team. You know who Jesus would choose to use? That one little scrawny kid that's left standing out there that nobody chose. Because he uses the weak things of the world to confound the strong. He chooses to use the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. So if you're here today thinking, I can't do that, but that's just not who I am. Congratulations, you are exactly the person whom Jesus wants to use. Number two, what else do we learn from a, from a donkey? Well, we learn, number one, that Jesus uses what normally is not used. Number next, Jesus uses what never has been used. Check out verse number two. He said, you're going to find a cult there. Here, here it is, on which no one has yet ever sat. And what do you reckon that colt said? Well, wait a minute, Jesus. I've never done that before. Because <laughs> that's what Baptists say. Hey, 
we would really like you to consider being the leader of a grace group. Oh, but I've never done that before. Can I say to you that Jesus loves virgins in ministry? He just does. He loves to use new things. Stop and think about all the new things that he used. Here he used a new colt. When he was born, he used a new womb. It was a virgin. When he was buried in a tomb, he used a new tomb that had never been used before. When he saved you, he gave you a new heart. He's got a new name for you. Jesus loves new things that have never, ever been used. So if you're here today and you know that Jesus is leading you towards a step of discipleship where you're going to go from sitting to serving and from, 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 from just being present to participating in the mission, as Colin says, of Grace Church, he's not eliminated two excuses. Well, you know, normally that's just not who I am. Yes, you are. Well, I've never done that before. Perfect. You're the exact person whom Jesus is looking for. What else do we learn from this donkey and being used? Well, we learn also, verse number 3, that Jesus uses what he needs to use. Check this out, verse number 3. Here's what he says. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? You say, the Lord, you may want to underline this word, has need of it. You know, th this struck me because here's why. Because I am big on the sovereign ability of God's omnipotent power. And I have said and will continue to say that God doesn't need anything. But what's this text say? This text says, Jesus speaking, the Lord has need of it. Here's how we reconcile it. You know what? God doesn't specifically need me. He doesn't. He can raise up 400 who can do it better than I can. But he wants to use me. You see, he needs somebody. You remember what? When we were here for, uh, for Moose, the missionary from Ghana, when he was here one Wednesday night, here's what he said. He said, God has not ordained the gospel to be proclaimed by angels, but to be proclaimed by the redeemed. So Jesus does need somebody to proclaim Him. He does need somebody to send. He does need somebody to preach. He does need somebody to serve. Here's the deal. If you don't do it, you're going to miss out. He'll raise up somebody else. Because if He has a need, he can, he can fulfill it. Are you with me? So He uses what He needs. On this day, He needed a donkey. He needed a donkey that... People normally wouldn't use. He needed a donkey that no one had ever sat on before. And he sent his boys to get him. Check this out. He uses what normally is not used. He uses what never has been used. He uses what he needs to use. And then number four. Troy asked me, he called me and said, you got to look at the slides. I think we got the wrong word underlined. But the reason is because I couldn't make, well, I could have made it fit with an N, but I wanted not to. So here's what he uses. He uses what is not tied up. Because we use that expression all the time. Well, I would, but I'm tied up that day. Look at, look at what the text says. Stay with me. Track through this. It's interesting. Here, here ought to be a key for us. Anytime Scripture repeats a word verbatim several times within a very short space of Scripture, our mind ought to seize on that. Look what Jesus said. You will find a colt tied there. Now look, look in verse 3. If anyone says, why are you doing this? And, and it's, why are you untying the colt? It's used. Does anybody have that in their translation? Untie. It's used three times. The word untie is used three times. And here I am. I studied in my Greek version of Scripture, and now I've got my English, and, and I'm not seeing it. Somebody, uh, uh, they found the colt. Here it is, verse number 4, tied at the door. The bystanders were saying to them, why are you, here we go, untying the colt. And they spoke to them just as Jesus had told them. So trust me, that word is used three times very quickly. Untying. Untie it and bring it. Why are you untying the colt? They untied it and brought it. 
Hey, if you're going to be used by God, get this. Just, I mean, it's just plain and simple. You can't be tied up. You can't be tied up. And by tied up, this is what we mean. This means I'm already busy doing something. But wait a minute. You better cut that tie that binds. And do whatever it is that Jesus is asking for. If you're too busy, if you're too tied up to answer the call of God, you're too busy. That's all there is to it. He uses what is not tied up. I can remember back when I was in school. And you know, I come from the old school. I just do. So I'm going to talk to you old school stuff here for a minute. So don't throw fruit at me or tomatoes, okay? But here was old school when I went to school. Jerry, probably so. Me and you about the same age, Jerry. We went to old school. We had the same school together. I mean, it's the separate schools together. Yeah. This is the way it was when I went to school. There were only three sports that were recognized as red-blooded American macho sports. <laughs> yep, Jerry's already mouthing them. It was football. There was baseball, and there was basketball. And any of these other little foo-foo sports that people participated in, the only reason they participated in them was because they weren't macho enough to participate in one of the manly sports. Are you following me? So I can remember very specifically one year, there was a track meet. I had no interest in track meets at all. I mean, the only people who went track meets were the Sallies. <laughs> you know? I mean, after all, they had, had the stupid things on Saturday. What country boy wants to give up a Saturday off of John Deere to be down there running in them sissy little shorts with tube, to tube, tube socks up to your knees? Because <laughs> that was the attire in the day. <laughs> so I had no use in going. So I was at school one day, and the principal came to me, Mr. Curtis. Had a lot of respect for Mr. Curtis because I done told the coaches, no, I ain't running in no track meet. What's wrong with y'all for even asking? So Mr. Curtis comes to me and he says, Richie said, why'd you, why'd you turn down the coach on this track meet? He said, look, this is going to be the biggest thing that's happening this spring. He said, we need you there, and we need your friend over there, and your friend over there from the football team. We need y'all, because here's what we want. To, we, we want to win the 440 relay. That's the only thing we care about this track meet. We, we want to win the 440 relay. So will you consider doing it for me? Well, what are you going to do? You know, I love Mr. Curtis, so I gave up a Saturday off of John Deere. So here, me and three more of my macho football-playing buddies, we go down there and you know, we practice and we did all, we practice passing the baton. I mean, come on. You think it ain't a sissy sport? They call it a baton. You know, a baton's something a cheerleader twirls and throws up in the air. It's not something big old football players run around with. So we practice passing the baton. So you want football players to take, call the thing an axe or something, huh? Pass the axe, not a baton. <laughs> Let's change the vernacular here a little bit. Might get more participation. So anyway, we practice all that stuff, and we get down there, and, you know, we're just looking around, me and my buddies, and it's like, what do we give up a Saturday for this for? When is our race? Let's win this thing so we can get out of here and get on doing something else. So came time for the 440. And uh, <laughs> lo and behold, we were in the middle of the race, and, and I wasn't the start man. I wasn't the anchor man. I was just one of them gap fillers in between, you know. And uh, the guy came up, and he handed me the baton, and I had the wind blowing through my hair because back in that day I had hair. And I was running and I was feeling good. You know, I just looking around, wasn't a soul in sight. I thought, man, this is, this is easier than I thought it was going to be. Unbeknownst to me, one of the other schools had slipped a speedster in amongst all the sallies. <laughs> he was disguised. And son, out of nowhere, I heard footsteps. And that dude came by me and passed me, and it's like, what in the world was that? It's like Hussein Bolt just passed me, you know? <laughs> and I remember when the race was over, my daddy was in the, in the front row in the stadium there, and he leaned over and he said, son, what the heck is wrong with you? Except he used another word. <laughs> he said, that boy passed you like you were tied to a fence post. <laughs> I'll never forget that as long as I live. And it was. It was like I was tied to a fence post and couldn't do anything. Here's the deal. <laughs> if 
you're going to be used of God, you can't be tied. And do you know why he uses things that normally are not used? You know why he uses new things that never have been used? Because I've seen this all my ministry. I've seen those things outrun old believers who've been sitting on a church pew for about 40 years. Pass them like they were tied to a fence post. So, man, I love it. I want to grow a church full of folk who think, this is not normally me. <laughs> I want to fill a church with people who say, well, I never have done things anything like that. Because you can outrun folk like they're tied to a fence post. Notice number next. What else do we learn from this donkey? Well, we learn that Jesus uses what is not tied up. And then finally, we see that Jesus, what, what Jesus uses, he returns better than new. Now, I like this because it comes in principle, and I think it also comes in the text. Notice verse number 3. Say, if anyone says, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and immediately he will send it back here. Now, do you see, in the original text, in my Greek New Testament, there are no quotation marks. So we don't know where the quotation mark ends. Translators put it after it uh, here. The Lord has need of it is what he says to say. But what if we expand that, which we very easily could do, and put the end of the quote, the closing quotation after here. Say to it, the Lord has need of it, and immediately he, the person who has the coat, will send it back here. Now that's one way of understanding it. No, or no, 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 no. Follow me again. The Lord has need of it, and after he's done with it, he will send it back here would be the implication. That I'm going to use it, and I'm going to send it back. Now, in principle, how does that flesh out? Well, here's how it fleshes out. When Jesus uses something, watch me real good. Everybody has somebody in their life that's borrowing stuff from you, always. And you hate to give it to them because you know when you give it to them, they're going to tear it up. And they're going to bring it back broken. They're going to ride it hard, put it up wet, not take care of it, and bring it back to you broken. Am I right? You have any friends like that? Well, get this. You give Jesus something, he's not like that. You give Jesus something, when you get it back, it's better than when you gave it to him. It's in better condition. How did it play out here? He borrowed a man's coat on which nobody had ever sat. And when he gave it back to him, son, he was trained. He was useful now. Because the sovereign... Lord of glory sat on him and trained him. That guy gave him something that was useless. He got back something that was useful. We see it all through Scripture. Just stop and think about this. Peter loaned Jesus one day his boat to use as a, as a floating pulpit. And when Jesus gave it back to him, he gave it back to him filled with fish. You, you ever notice things like that? I mean, stop and think about it. There was a little boy one day in a crowd of 5,000 men who had five loaves and two fish for lunch. He gave it to Jesus, and Jesus gave him back enough to feed everybody there in that crowd of 5,000. Watch me real good. You give Jesus something, he gives it back to you better than what you gave him. You give him your broken life, he puts it together and gives it back to you as a masterpiece because you are God's workmanship. You give him your sin, he takes it and he gives you back his righteousness. Everything that he gets, he makes it better. He makes it better. That's just the way he is. That's what he does. And yet we've still got folk that think, you know, if I surrender to Jesus, he's going to kill my fun. No, he's not. He's going to exponentially multiply it. Just hold on. Because what he takes and uses, he always gives it back in better condition than when he got it from you. All right, check this out. i got to hurry. Donkeys, disciples, and doctrine. That's what we learn from donkeys. Now, what do we learn from the disciples? Well, we learn from the donkey. If we're going to be used by God, then Jesus must eliminate our excuses... Number two, if we're going to be, or to be used by God, we must follow the disciples' example. 
especially these two disciples. Now you notice the disciples hadn't been a pretty good example up until now. But kudos to the disciples. They nailed this one. They got it right. Check out what the Bible says they did. Verse number 4, let's start right there. They went away. Jesus sent them, and look what the verse number 4 says. They actually went and did it. So the first thing that we got to, if we're going to be used by God, the first example we got to follow the disciples is here they were. They were compliant. They were compliant. Now, you may not know what it means to be compliant, but you know what it means to be non-compliant, don't you? <laughs> if you ever been stopped by a policeman, you know what it means to be non-compliant. If you have ever been reprimanded at work, you know what it means to be non-compliant. But to be compliant means you did it. You do whatever was asked of you. And that's exactly what these boys did. Amazing. I mean, here is a radical concept. If Jesus says it, do it. That's amazing to me. It's, 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 it's mind-boggling. You remember what Mary said at the, at the wedding feast in Cana? You remember what she told the servants? She said, whatever he says, you do it. My, my, if we could just do that. Hey, what would Grace Church look like next week if every one of us this week did what Jesus says to do today? If we were compliant, how would our life be different? How would he give us back something better than what we gave him? If we just took the simple step of being compliant. Check out number next. If we're going to be used by him, we must follow the disciples' example. Number one, they were compliant. Verse number four again, look what they did. And found a colt. So they were compliant, they were obedient, and they went and they found a colt. Now, stop and think about this for a little while because here these boys were. They did something that they had no idea about this. None whatsoever. They could have had a thousand questions about where, who, when, why. They could have had all the questions that we ask when he asked us to do something. There's not a question recorded. They just went and they found the colt. Now stop. Let's walk down that street with those two disciples that day. Where here we are. We're in this village we've never been in before. And we really don't know what we're doing here, but we were told to come here and find a colt. There is the colt. I bet you those boys had a, a little celebration right there because guess what? They found it just like he said. Now, there's one line of liberal thought that says, while the disciples were sleeping, Jesus got up real early in the morning and he went up there and staked that colt out. That's crazy. He hadn't been there. He told them where it was going to be, what to get, and they went up there and got it. Now stay with me for a minute. Here's what this is known as in theology, all right? You ready for me to lay a little theology on you? Are you ready? This is known as promise slash fulfillment. He made a promise. They were compliant. They saw the fulfillment of the promise. That is promise and fulfillment. Now stay with me here. Do you know how many promises there are given to us in this book? Anybody know? You got one of them little books that you keep on your shelf that says the Bible promise book? You know how many promises are in that thing? Well, that's your homework assignment then. I'm not going to tell you. You just, you just take a gander at how many promises are in this book. And now, let me ask you another question. How many of those promises have you seen fulfilled in your life? This may be the missing component. Obedience is the bridge to get you from promise to fulfillment. And you see, most scripture is written in those terms. It's written in, here's the promise, here's the fulfillment, here's what you've got to do to get from point A to point B. I mean, just stop and think in the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 10, here's a promise. For I say unto you that no one has left houses, 
fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters, or farms. For my sake and the gospel's sake, who will not receive a hundredfold in this present age. Do you see what he's saying? Here is promise and here's fulfillment. Scripture is written like that. But here's what I ask myself. Why is my life devoid of the fulfillment of God's promises? And the answer is always because I hadn't been walking across the bridge of obedience. Let me give you one example. Check this out. You don't have to check it out. Let me just read it for you. Let me get, and again, I just pulled this out random because this is the way Scripture is written. It's written in a term of here's the promise, here's the fulfillment. Listen to what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 3, verse number 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. Here's the fulfillment. And He will direct your path. He will direct your step. He will make your, your, your path straight. Now, here's the obedience part. What did He say? Trust in the Lord. And then he states it negatively. Do not lean on your own understanding. And here's what that word lean means. See, that's not it. Because if I'm leaning like this, you can take that away and I still stand. Here's what the word lean means. Here's how you are to trust in the Lord. You see that? That's leaning into the Lord. That's leaning into His grace. That's God. If you're not sufficient, I'm about to fall on my face. And when we lean into Him like that and not on our own understanding, then the promise is fulfilled. But here's what we think leaning is. All right, God, I'm trusting you. And we hadn't seen anything fulfilled in our life because we got a backup plan. God, if you fail, I'm still going to be here. Check it out. I got to run. What was their example? Number one, they were compliant. Number two, they found the colt. That's promise and fulfillment. Number three, and here's what the King James adds. Anybody, read, anybody got a King James here today? Here's what the King James says. They found it at a crossroad where two ways come together. So here's what we learn also from this donkey. When Jesus wants to use something, guess when Jesus wants to use you, do you know where you always are? You're always at a crossroad. And there's a decision you got to make. Because when He wants to use you, I promise you you're going to be at a crossroad of life and you can lean on your own understanding and go this way. Or you can trust in the Lord and go this way. That donkey was at a crossroad. It's where they found him. And he went the way to be used by God. Number next, he was at a crossroad. Look, at, look what else these disciples did. They were confronted. Can I say to you that before you are used by God, you're going to experience confrontation in your life. Here's what's going to happen. The Lord wants to use you for His glory. The devil doesn't want God to get any glory in your life. So you know what he's going to do? He's going to confront you somehow or another. Sometimes it's just right here in your mind. He begins to bombard you with thoughts of why you can't do this. And He weakens your faith to the point that you back out on what the Lord wants you to do. You're going to experience confrontation. Other times, He's going to have somebody else come to you and confront you and tell you why you shouldn't and cannot be doing this and why that's a stupid harebrained decision. Does anybody have folk like that in their life? I'm surprised you do. I thought they were all around me. <laughs> See, I thought I was running interference for everybody in the room because I get that all the time about why that's a harebrained decision. Well, it's not harebrained if God's in it. Are you with me? You're going to experience confrontation. Hey, sometimes it's not bad confrontation. Here's what happens a lot of times. Jesus wants to use somebody 
And all of a sudden, the devil will make a job opening available for you in Tallahassee. He'll do something to get you out of the mix. He'll do anything to divert you. You're going to experience confrontation where you cannot be used in that capacity by the Lord. Number next, they were, they were confronted. They experienced confrontation. Verse number 6, what did they do when they experienced confrontation? They spoke His command. He told them what to say. He said, if anybody confronts you, you speak my word. Can I say this to you? When old Scratch comes to you and tells you why you can't be used, you know what you do? Just pull out the Word of God and say to him, I beg to differ, sir, because my book says I can do all things through Jesus Christ who strengthens me. I promise you he has no answer for the Word of God. And do you notice that when they quoted what Jesus told them to say, look what the Bible says. They let him go. I'm telling you, the world and the devil, even the flesh, your own flesh is powerless against the Word of God. So when confrontation comes, instead of going down that wrong path at that crossroad by letting your mind speak negative and unbiblical truth into who you are, you just speak the Word of God right back and see what takes place. Well, here we go. i got to hurry. Not only did they speak His command, but finally, verse number 7 says, they completed the mission. Look what verse number 7 is. They brought the colt to Jesus. Now, if they would have been Baptists, they'd have went down there, they'd have saw that colt, they would have had a revival service right there in the street because they just saw a promise fulfilled. They would have took the colt, but probably on the way back to where Jesus was, they'd have got sidetracked and went fishing. Or climbed up in a deer stand. They would have done something because they probably wouldn't have completed it. Hey, here's the deal. You know what I want to see in a church? You know what I want us to see just one time in our grace group semesters? I want to see us start calling with 95. And at the end of three months, I want to see us have 125. But mark my word, I'm no prophet nor the son of a prophet. But I'm not new to ministry and I'm not new to people and I'm not new to leadership. Normally, here's what happens. And Grace, here's how I'll know when God's doing something in the lives of people at Grace. When we start with 95 and we don't end with 45. Because up until now, that's what we've done. So it's not rocket science to predict. Matter of fact, I got in trouble the other day because Dr. John was bragging in our, in our leadership group about how many we had in, uh, in uh, Grace Group this past week. And I just kind of threw it out there and said, well, don't get too excited. We'll be down to our normal 40 in a couple months. <laughs> See, we're good at starting stuff with a bang and ending with a fizzle. I've got a friend that's good at this alliteration stuff, and here's what he says. Faith that fizzles before the finish was faulty from the first. <laughs> Did you get that? <laughs> I said it and didn't even spit on Seth. Faith that fizzles before the finish was faulty at the first. <laughs> I'm pushing my luck now, ain't I? Look at here, man. In this COVID era, I need to preach with a mask on. <laughs> Here's what I'm saying. The job isn't done until the mission is complete. Don't just go and find the colt. Don't just go and get the colt. Don't just start back with the colt and then take a hard left and we ain't seen your honey in six months. Are you with me? Finish the task. Stay with the stuff. All right, here we go. Donkeys, disciples, and doctrine. Hey, do I need to redeem myself? Or do you need to redeem yourself? I would love for you to prove me wrong. I would love for us to finish grace groups. When do we finish? When's the semester in? First of May? Let's finish, let's finish our grace groups. Like Colin said, over 100. What do you think? What do you think? Are you with me?
That was pretty dang weak. <laughs> that was pretty dang weak. Are we going to do that or not? All right. All right. There we go. Hey, we want to multiply. If we're sending church, we need to start multiplying grace groups because that's where we manufacture leaders, all of that type of stuff. So here we go. i got to run on. All right, what kind of doctrine do we see here? We've seen the donkeys. We've seen the disciples. And I'm going to finish this thing on time. The last part of it, verses 7 through 10. When we have been used, Jesus is exalted. You see, that's what it's about. You're not doing this for you. You're doing it for Him. And what are you doing for Him that you wouldn't do for anybody else on this planet? Notice how He was exalted. Well, number one, He was exalted because He fulfilled prophecy. You ever wonder why some of these people were shouting this stuff? It's probably because they were good Hebrew children and they knew the prophecy that Zechariah gave us. Um, Alyssa read it this morning. The prophecy, what? The prophet said, Hey, Jerusalem, your king's going to come to you sitting on the foal of a donkey. And here he comes. When you're used by God, who knows? You just may be in the divine flow of things and fulfilling prophecy. Check out number next. Not only did he fulfill prophecy, but his deity was proven. His deity was proven. Now, how do you see his deity in him entering into Jerusalem? I can tell you how you see it. You see it in the fact that he was sitting on a brand new foal on the colt of a donkey. That donkey had never had anybody sit on him in his life. And there were people around him, crushing in on him, taking off their coats, flapping them, laying them down in the road. There was others, folks out there cutting down palm leaves and waving like this. Now, I don't know what you call that here in Bonifavin in South Mississippi. We call that a rodeo, Jack. Because <laughs> somebody's going to get airborne because that donkey's going to come untrained. Are you with me? New donkeys don't do good in calamity like that. They just don't. As a matter of fact, that the road, I, I propose, I propose that at the Bonifay Rodeo, we have a new donkey riding contest sponsored by Grace Church Bonifay. And we're going to get somebody to sit on a brand new donkey. I'll supply the donkey that nobody's ever sat on. And I want to get every member from Grace Church to come out there and I'm going to give you a palm branch. And I'm going to give you some clothes and, and blankets to wave. And we're going to turn that donkey out in that rodeo pen. And we're going to start hooping and hollering and waving palm branches and throwing down coats. And we're going to see how long our victim can stay on him. Huh? What do you think? If they stay on him for more than eight seconds, we'll send them on a mission trip. <laughs> but I got a feeling in our donkey riding contest, the donkey's going to send him on a mission trip. Huh? About halfway to the moon. And that's what happened. <laughs> Here Jesus was. By the way, we have an expression in South Mississippi. You know, I talk about mules a lot, folk getting mule-lipped. <laughs> but have you ever heard this expression? I, tell, I say it to Heather all the time. I say, hold your mule. <laughs> you know why you tell somebody to hold their mule? You ever, you ever been told to hold your mule? It don't, mean, it don't mean just hold your horses, be patient. Here's what it means. It means you better hold your mule because I'm fixing to shout. <laughs> Because when you shout in the presence of a mule, he's fixing to break camp. Are you with me? He's going to break camp. Hey, hold your mule. I tell Heather all the time, hold your mule. <laughs> Sometimes I say, hold my mule. <laughs> I don't want my mule to dart out from under me. Hold him too. <laughs> Here's how it proves his deity. That was a brand new colt. Nobody had ever sat on him. He was in a crowd of folk doing some strange things. And Jesus on the back of that coat, and here's probably what he's saying. Now, little man, this is your creator speaking. I want you to march down Main Street, Jerusalem, just like you're a fine Arabian stallion, because you and I got business to do. And I bet you that coat never flinched. I bet you he never pranced sideways. He never snorted, and he never bucked. you know why? Because the creator God of glory was sitting on his back. And he was on his finest behavior that day. As a matter of fact, it was his finest hour. And it'll be your finest hour too. When you let Jesus use you like that. Number next, and I'm done. 
When we've been used by God, Jesus is exalted. He fulfilled prophecy. His deity was proven. And finally, verses 9 and 10, His people gave Him praise. Look what the Bible says. The people were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Now, stop and think. How was the stage set for these people to praise Jesus? Because long before they ever got to Main Street, Jerusalem, and the worship service, and the praise, there were two good old boy disciples who Jesus asked them to do something that they didn't understand, but they went and did it anyway. That set the stage. (laughs) When we've been used by God, guess what happens? We set the stage for people to exalt Christ and to praise Him. That is the very purpose of your service. That's why you're used. Hey, we don't do it for what we get out of it. We do it for what He gets. And that is He gets praise from His people. So here's my question to you. What is it that Jesus is asking you to do? And what has been your excuse for not doing it up until now? Maybe He's eliminated that excuse. What is He asking you to do? And today, will you just be simply obedient and do it? Because here's what will take place. You never know how much praise He'll get from your simple, unseen act of obedience that will connect you between, connect the bridge between promise and fulfillment. Hey, if donkeys can do it, the disciples can do it, we can do it too. Would you stand with me, please? Father in heaven, thank you for this passage of Scripture. Thank you, God, for what it teaches us. And God, would you help us lean into you this day not leaning into our own understanding and listening to the voice of unreason tell us why we can't do it but God I pray that we're going to lean into you and we're going to trust you and we're going to obey whatever it is you have said no matter how insignificant it seems no matter how big it seems no matter what you have set before us God today for your honor and glory, for the purpose that you may be exalted and praised by your people, could we just simply be obedient? So I pray for those today whom you're calling to salvation. I pray the day would be the day when they place their faith in you, when they lean into you wholly, trusting in nothing but your grace to save them. I pray for those whom you're calling to be a part of grace, be on mission with us, be used by God right here in this context. Could today be the day when they say yes and lean into what you have said rather than putting it off one more week? Whatever you have said, God, may today be the day 